forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and sometimes I have a bad attitude. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I was about to say I'm acting out. As you might be able to tell, we're uh, recording our second episode of the day, which is always, I'd say, 35 to 40% more loopy than our first episode of the day. Yeah, you can really tell it's the second episode by how we've chosen to sit and talk and be. Uh, (laughs) What we've we've decided to, I mean, look, we start in the morning. Yeah. Allison grills me about my personal life until about right before we record. Right, right. And then I'm I'm loopy and tired and also from the actual episode, but also from the emotional roller coaster that I've been forced onto by Allison's detective questioning. I'm not supposed to ask about your life. No, you do, but you ask it with a sort of like a like a like a excavating charm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a bit of a like like a loving sort of digging. Not digging at, like digging in terms of uncovering. Digging in terms of uncovering, yeah. No, no, no. In terms of uncovering. Yeah. You ask the tough questions. Well, that's why we have this segment of the show (laughs) called Tough Questions. Like, Do other people not ask you these questions? No. My other, I I love Drew so much. Uh, She'll ask very like therapy sort of leading questions, but she's not direct. Like she will be direct if I ask her to, but like the way that you're very direct, she's kind of like, that's interesting. And do you feel that it's a good time? Or like, she'll be like, that's so interesting. And so like, how did you react when that happened? Like she, so sometimes I want her to be like, this isn't good. But she'll very <laughs> much, I love her so much, but she'll very much be like, fascinating. And how did you feel in that moment? Did you think that maybe, like she doesn't even lead me. She just asks very like therapy I, I questions. I try not to lead you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But she, I like, well, you know, it's funny because my therapist doesn't even ask therapy questions. My therapist will be like, mm-mm. <laughs> so like I I saw a TikTok of someone that was like, and like that was like this man uh, in drag. And he was like, it was like the character was the the bad therapist or like the un, un, inappropriate therapist. And it was like, oh, honey, so good to see you. You look gorgeous. Okay, listen. So like I told you about my own divorce, like just these kinds of like, <laughs> Or like, and how do we feel about Taylor? Well, look, I hate her, but I can see how she's your friend. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, oh my God, that's my therapist. <laughs> really? She definitely, like, okay, you're th- you're in therapy. You're, I mean, you're in therapy school. I'm in school for psychology, yes. So is that not correct to be like, to be like, okay, so we're giving Steve another chance? You know what I mean? Like, do you have to just be like, and... And how did you feel when you gave Steve another chance? I think that the way that they teach you how to do it versus how people end up doing it in practice differ. I think there's a wide range of of styles. So some people would like, it would be sacrilege for them to ever give a clear guidance. And for other people, like their therapy style is more directive. But I mean, who knows? What about like sharing your own life? Like my therapist will be like, yeah, it's like, you know, this X, Y, and Z happened in my personal life. So again, big disagreements within the community on how much to share, if to share it all, when to share. But I think that if you are going to share, the rule of thumb is that it has to be for a therapeutic purpose. 
Like you can't just be sharing because you want to tell someone. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm telling you this because maybe it will help you get a new perspective on your life or it will help you feel less alone. Or like there was like a clear A to B versus like, you will not believe my weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, it's not like that, but it is like, it is like, well, in my divorce, you know what I mean? But I think that that's like, yeah, like that can kind of then like, okay, maybe like that makes you trust them more because they've gone through a similar experience or like they can see that you don't feel shame around this thing that maybe they're feeling shame around. But there should always be like a reason why you are sharing. And you also shouldn't be sharing the majority of a session, right? Like, yeah. it should be, like, sparing. One time, when I first started seeing her, I was talking about, like, like work or something, and she was like, yes, I see a lot of famous lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how many? Who? You know what I mean? <laughs> she, like, sometimes will, like, let things slip about other clients that I'm like, like, yeah, she'll be like, not good. she'll be like, oh, yeah, I have this one client who's an actor, and, like, he's not out. And I'm like, uh, well, there's a reason why she's telling you that. Yeah, she's telling me in like a in like a thing helping me with like, you know, whatever. But it's just like, very, I'm like, who? Like my therapist would tell me about like other people struggling with their writing careers and how like yeah. it's such a tough industry and that kind of thing. And that would be like helpful. But yeah. Yeah. It's a look. Therapy is an art form. Like yeah. the only real guidelines are like set by like the licensing board right so there's like certain things like you are not allowed to do yeah but other than that it's kind of like a gray area where like there's different like there's different (laughs) thinking around if it's good or not I just imagine my therapist giving blind items like being like (laughs) I come in and my therapist is like this A-lister who definitely has a new album coming out came into my office to talk about their partner. Well there is like something about now that a lot of these therapists are on TikTok like how much are they disclosing about their clients, right? Because it's yes. like, it's like okay, yeah, like as a viewer, I won't know who you're talking about, but it, what if that client finds your TikTok? Exactly. So I feel a little weird around that. Definitely. Obviously talking broadly, but talking about a specific client where if that client heard what you were saying, they would know it was them. Bad. Feels yucky to me. <laughs> anyway, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> when we say brutal, we mean brutal. Oh my God. Okay. We've got a really fun episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Mitra Kaboli all about Provincetown and queer paradise as an idea, and also about the hierarchies and problems in the queer community. It's a very, I would say, like illuminating and an intense interview for me. It gave me a lot of thoughts about like the sort of deeper problems in the gay community and also what it means to be a queer paradise. And later, we're going to be talking about safe injection sites. So I guess when I said it was a fun episode, that was maybe not the right adjective. Nope. It's an informative episode about a lot of important (laughs) topics. But I'm excited to get into that topic because it's something I actually didn't know that much about. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like super fascinated by and have a lot of opinions. So excited to discuss with you. Mm Mm-hmm. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question, and you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Anonymous Germany. International, baby. Oh, yes. Guten Tag. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
Hi, Gabby and Allison. TLDR. I have zero romantic experience at the age of 24. And while I would like to be in a relationship, it feels more and more impossible each year. For some more context, I was unpopular in high school, so dating back then just was not in the cards for me. When I finally got to college, I slowly started realizing that I was not straight, which took me overall several years, and I still question all the time. Compulsory heterosexuality really came for me, but have realistically not been interested in men since. I did have a few crushes back then, but nothing went anywhere as I was too scared to do anything. Since graduating, I've not made any progress, mostly due to COVID, and even though I'm at grad school, I don't meet many people that I'm interested in or would be interested in me. While I've tried online dating, it has only resulted in two mediocre dates that went nowhere, a lot of stress around it, and regularly getting to the end of Tinder. On the one hand, I'm grateful that I found amazing friends at college and have gotten used to being on my own over the years. However, there is still a part of me that really craves the companionship and emotional and physical intimacy of a romantic relationship. I also can't say that the fact that every single song, movie, and book is about romantic relationships makes me feel like I'm missing out on a good day and that I am broken for not being able to achieve this despite wanting it on a bad one. I also do worry that if I'm ever in a situation where things might be progressing, that my complete lack of experience will be an issue, which just makes the anxiety around dating worse. I followed you since your BuzzFeed days, and it has been great to see you both grow as people as well as creators. Thank you so much for all you do. Well, first of all, I want to say that I deeply believe that you are not alone. I think everything that you've said is so relatable because you're 24. And so you're kind of in this really interesting sweet spot in terms of like our the generations and the like context of um, the world in the sense that one realizing that you're not straight takes up a lot of time. You're already sort of kind of behind other people when it comes to dating a lot of the times. I've heard this from a lot of queer people in that they feel like they did not have a queer adolescence. They uh, figured out what they were interested in and only became aware of what they actually wanted in relationships later than straight people tend to. That is very common, especially among people who have dealt with compulsory heterosexuality, which uh, compulsory heterosexuality People sometimes get dicey about it because it does occasionally lead into biphobia. But at its at its best, it is this idea that breaks down if you are actually attracted to men or if you are just attracted to what you're supposed to be attracted to. And that all things equal, would you actually be most likely to be uh, most fulfilled, more yourself, more ha- happier in a relationship with a woman? That's and this is this thing that called the lesbian master doc, which I can't even get into because it's but it's this long, basically document about compet. So it seems like you went through all that. You questioned all of that. You came out on the other side. That's a whole thesis in itself. So already you're like into co- well into college. Then I think a lot of people were um, set back in dating by the pandemic. The pandemic made it very hard to meet people in the natural way you would meet people, to go on dates, to feel good being close to someone, to feel good swapping spit with someone, to feel okay, like getting physically close to people. I think I think that is very different now than it was even pre-pandemic. I think like even now, you know, three years later, however long, like it is still a bit more of a thing to touch a stranger. And so I think that you being 24, all the math adds up, right? Like there have got to be tons of people just like you at your exact age who have had these same setbacks and they're very relatable and very understandable setbacks. Like this makes total sense to me. You are not some weirdo 
And on the other note of like, oh, I, I don't have dating experience, like that might get in my way. There are people out there that have so much dating experience and they're horrible at dating. Right, <laughs> like, exactly. There are people who have been in so many relationships, get in a relationship, fuck it up, self-sabotage, mm-hmm. don't know what they're doing, are a bad partner, are like lose themselves in a relationship, don't give enough of themselves in a relationship. Like having experience is like, important and it can help you know like what you're looking for but it's not a prerequisite for being able to like form a healthy and happy partnership exactly you can do that now yeah like and so I think like you know I think a thing to think is like okay maybe I don't know what I'm doing but so few of us do exactly even if you have had relationships and so I think a really helpful like mantra that I try to tell myself all the time is like the past does not dictate the future Like the fact that this thing hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't happen. Mm -hmm. And that like just not being afraid to prioritize it, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe you've gotten into a place where like it feels uncomfortable to admit to yourself how much you want this. Mm -hmm. But like, why not? A lot of people want to be in partnership. Yeah. That's a very common like like adaptive thing Mm -hmm. to want. It's not for everyone, but for people who want it, like. Choosing to prioritize it is a really great way to like take care of yourself and like honor your needs and wants, not to take yourself out of the game before you've even started. Yeah. I also think you mentioned Tinder and I think maybe a a tip could be interesting to focus on queer dating apps Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people under the LGBTQIA plus sphere who have similar non-linear dating, you know, histories and backgrounds, people who identify as demisexual, people who, you know, are more open to sort of different types of relationships. If they've gone through the the process of seeking out a specifically queer dating app, they probably have put some thought into their queerness. So there's apps like Lex, there's... Well, they're in Germany, so I don't know what's in Germany. Oh, I don't know what's in Germany, but if you can find a queer dating app in Germany that might that might actually help you narrow your focus. And like it's okay to put it out there to the people that you do know that you are looking. Like set up set like, me up. Setups are great. But I, yeah, I just this idea that like oh you're behind. Like with romantic relationships, it's like a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there are people who meet someone in high school and stay together forever. There are people who like have to start over at 32 and haven't been in the dating scene for 10 years. And so they feel people get divorced as at 70. floundering as maybe you do. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's I think it is very rare for somebody to be like, ah, yes, I am good at this and I know how to do it. <laughs> and I have the right perfect amount of experience without having too much baggage. Yeah. And, you know, I'm ripe for this. Yeah. Like it's always murky. It's always like easy to beat yourself up. But you are still so young. And even if you weren't young, even if you were said I'm, I'm 50 saying, yeah. and I've never had a relationship, I'd be like, I'd be saying all the same things. So yeah. I'm excited for you. Yeah, we're with you. We're here. We'll help. <laughs> right in. I think that you are not as behind as you view yourself to be. And I think people listening would probably be like, oh my God, this sounds like me. And even the terminology behind, right? Right. Like, just take that away. It's just like if you haven't had this type of experience yet. And like, there's so many types of experiences you just don't have un- until you have them. <laughs> yeah, like bungee jumping. Exactly. So if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we have an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Mitra Kaboli. Stay tuned.
It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. Our guest this week is Mitra Kaboli, an award-winning audio documentarian and multimedia artist who's been working professionally in radio and podcasting since 2012. She's also the host of the critically acclaimed podcast, Welcome to Provincetown. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to dive into this latest show of yours because it sounds like quite quite the whirlwind <laughs> of just like probably an experience to be documenting. So how did you come up with the concept for it? So Provincetown is such an interesting place, honestly. You know, it's kind of this small town that's like all the way at the very, very tip of Cape Cod, like basically in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. In the most of the year, there's like 3,000 people that live there. And then in the summer, there's like 60,000. And so that's just a really interesting place. And, you know, artists and writers and filmmakers for like centuries have basically flocked there. And, you know, when you walk down the streets of Provincetown, it is just full of performance and theater and people like dressing up and wanting to perform for you and wanting to sing a song for you. It's just, you know, ripe with material, I'll say. And so you kind of went there and you picked a few specific people whose stories you wanted to tell. And how did that process go? Like, how did you figure out like what points of view were important for you to to share to kind of highlight what makes this city special? Totally. I didn't intentionally at the time focus on workers per se, but that just kind of ended up happening. You know, it's kind of hard to follow around someone when they're just like in town for a week on vacation, for example. But the people who work in town are really the ones who make up the fabric of that place and are invested in it. And, you know, the kind of seamless experience that you have when you are in Provincetown as a vacationer is like, there are so many cogs in the background working to make that happen for you. More specifically, though, before I got there, I didn't know a ton. Um, I kind of showed up there and kind of hit the ground running. But I had heard of Kaya Cristal. She's um, one of the characters in the show. She's uh, an amazing singer and performer and a drag artist. And I had heard of her before I went there. And I kind of had my eye on her. People were like, this is Kaya Summer. She's the it girl. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so I was already interested in that. And then I had heard of a summer work program called Summer of Sass that brings like queer 18 to 20 year olds to come and work in Provincetown for the summer. And um, I was curious about that. And so we ended up following the program and two of the participants and the woman who runs it. I've been to Provincetown and it is a truly unique place. Like what is the history? Why does this like gay town exist where it does? That's a really good question. And I don't fully like totally have a clear answer to that. I was also like, how did this happen? But I mean, as a queer person, I'm sure you know that like the gay part of anything is the hardest to get to. You know, I live in New York City, like the gay part of Reese Beach, which is like, you know, the beach that everyone loves to go to is like, in front of a dilapidated building and you have to walk to like the absolute furthest point of the beach to get there. You know what I mean? You know, we think about like Palm Springs, Provincetown, like kind of really 
at the edge, you know, like these are not easy places to get to because of, you know, kind of like safety a little bit, you know, like where can we go where people will leave us alone or they won't be bothered? The kind of, you know, Provincetown is not just a gay place. Tons of like straight people live there and families, whatever. But the gay nude beach is like a mile hike through a marsh basically to get to. It's not easy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you really you got to work for it. (laughs) What did it end up meaning that she was the it girl of Provincetown? Well, she was Kaya truly was everywhere. Um, (laughs) You know, she had a gig almost every night of the week. Uh, She also has like a day job seven days a week where she like worked in a retail boutique and then was just like always performing and sometimes without warning, you know, like there were shows that she did where like I knew she was going to be at certain places at certain times. But then it was like at a party and she just like appears out of a sand dune and is like serenading the party goers on the beach with like backlit by the full moon, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) so I can't make that up. (laughs) It's like almost like one long street, Provincetown. There's like, or the main street. And every boutique, every, you're talking about the retail boutiques, like everything is gay. The coffee shop is gay. Every like little air. I mean, yes, there are straight people there, but I mean, rainbow flags, as far as the eye can see, drag shows. I do think that we tend to like claim cities. Like I had a couple people visit that were here visiting from Lebanon and I brought them to West Hollywood and they were like an entirely gay city. Like it's just this kind of thing that it seems so magical when you're there. Like how do you try to capture like the magic of being there? That was kind of my goal going in was like how like that was the question. It's like, how do I capture this place? And that was kind of the biggest challenge because there's there's so many things, you know, there's kind of like the rainbow flag aspect. There's the like cabaret Disneyland aspect. There's just the general whimsy that you experience walking down the street and just like the ease of it and the swell of the summer. And, you know, all of those things kind of like mixing in this soup, like in the sun. Now I'm like, I don't know, poetry, whatever. Uh, (laughs) I think how we ended up capturing that is the show is pretty atmospheric. We had a lot of tape, like hundreds and hundreds of hours of tape and parsing through that and trying to find the kind of special moments where things kind of just uh, happen while you're listening and, you know, the listener's just kind of a fly on the wall. And I think that's kind of how we did our best to really capture the feel of town. And I think in a lot of ways was, I mean, I like to think that it was quite successful in that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I'd love to hear more about this program, the Summer of Sashs and like who funds it, how it operates, like when it started, because it is such an interesting and cool concept. Totally. So it's uh, Summer of Sass uh, was started by this woman named Kristen Becker, who I followed throughout the summer. She's a comedian. And we ended up being, you know, if you listen to the show, we kind of have our own little friendship vibe that blossoms throughout the 10 episodes. But she started it in 2016. She was on a trip. She's kind of from Shreveport, Louisiana and Buffalo, like simultaneously lived in both of those cities when she was growing up. And so she was in Shreveport doing a gig right around 2016. 
And she picked up the paper and she was reading the paper and she saw that there's a story about some kid in the paper who was getting bullied because he's gay and had to like drop out of school or graduate early or something like that. And she was just like, man, like she graduated from high school in Shreveport like 20 years before that. And she was like, shit's really still the same, huh? You know, and kind of felt motivated to try and do something about it. And so she kind of just started this program to bring kids, you know, one, two, three at a time um, from different places in the U.S. who have like varying conditions, you know, maybe they're not accepted by their families, maybe they're not accepted by the town that they live in, you know, various different kind of like hostilities in their life and come to P-Town and work for the summer and like truly have in many cases, a really transformative experience. One of the people on the show, Ethan, who we followed, he's from Defiance, Ohio. He has like super religious parents and they're really not super accepting of him being gay. And also just kind of generally were a little neglectful. And so, you know, he came to P-Town and just like really, really thrived. Mm. And by the time you kind of get to the end of the show, like he's truly transformed. And then there was something in the show called Circuit Week, which uh, you kind of explored as this thing that brought up a lot of like good stuff, but also like maybe some like insecurities in terms of people's bodies there. And like, what was that like to kind of navigate? Yeah. So Circuit Week is right around the 4th of July. Every week in Provincetown is a different theme that's kind of like marketed towards different type of people to bring them to town. And so I don't know if your listeners are familiar with like the term like a circuit gay. Yes. Not to be reductive, (laughs) but it's like kind of like muscly, shirtless, like hairless, like sexy guys. And so one of the people on the show is this person named Sonny. And he's kind of like your typical gay man who's like there for the summer working, but like is trying to, you know, fuck and just have a good time and like came off a hard year. And it's just like, he just wants to have fun. But right around circuit week, like the vibe in town really shifted. This is where my personal summer also started to tank. Like in June, I was like, I love it here. I'm never leaving. And then circuit week rolled around and I was like, get me the fuck out of here. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Um, Like all of a sudden town was just like flooded with men, like so many dudes and like hot, fucking buff dudes who like will not get out of your way for anything. They're like, no, this is where I am standing. And like you are a woman and like, why are you at this party? Why are you here? You know, like it really felt a little bit like that. But for Sonny, you know, who's like a very attractive gay man, frankly, and a lot of people I talked to around this time were also just like, oh, like, you know, it's like circuit week and I just feel bad about myself because like none of the circuit queens are eating and they're just like doing a bunch of GHB and like Coke and like that's all they live off of. And I feel fat in my Speedo, which is crazy. You know what I mean? But then right after circuit week is bear week. So, you know, then it kind of... Yeah. (laughs) Bear week! I love bear week. (laughs) Yeah. So it changes. There's still a lot of men, but... I was going to ask you about this because Provincetown, with any queer paradise, there is always an underbelly, I think, of uh, with Provincetown, especially like largely the circuit boys are white. Largely the circuit boys are cis, are not fat, are not, you know, there's this very distinct troubled hierarchy, which actually the film Fire Island gets into 
and Fire Island has mm-hmm. a similar reputation. So is that what Circuit Week was bringing up for people? Like it's this very, it's hard because I don't want to be against those people because I get it. But I'm also like, it's so troubling because it creates this um, really heinous white supremacy divide. I mean, Provincetown is always white. So like, let's just (laughs) say that right there. Much more than Fire Island, frankly. You know, I think maybe just like proximity to New York City or something. Like you can just see the like, Bushwick runoff in Fire Island in the way that you really do not see in Provincetown. There are lots of Black people there, but they're mostly working and you don't really see them out in the same way that you do kind of like cis men who are there to vacation or party. I mean, a lot of that has to do with money because Provincetown is so expensive. But I mean, more than anything, it's just like misogyny kind of run amok, you know, like I feel like I'm not a a gay man, but like, you know, there is a lot of like just kind of like male toxicity that exists, not just in gay culture and all culture, but it's kind of like a little more rampant, I think, in gay culture because there's like not a lot of there's no there's no women around to be like, hey, what the fuck, man? You know what I mean? Like there's like the checks and balances aren't in place, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) It's like I think my take on it. It is hard because there are lesbians in Provincetown too, but like it's this very toxic aspirational like right like so I'm a transmasculine person and like part of what is so beautiful to me is like this queerest folk idea of these like very hot gay guys and they're all partying and dancing but like they're all white. They're all ripped in a certain way like so that's what's shown to us as aspirational versus like something like Bear Week, which is awesome because it's just... uh, Can you explain what Bear is for listeners who might not be familiar with the term? Sure. Bear is the absolute best version of gay people. No, uh, (laughs) a a bear is a a gay guy who is bigger and hairier and they, they often have beards and they are just... It's just a type of gay guy and they have a lot of pride in being bears. Accurate. So I was gonna say, did you see... In comparison to Circuit Week, did you see like a lot more body positivity and a lot more like diversity in Bear Week? For sure, there was a lot more like body diversity, but it was still overwhelmingly white. I don't think there was a single moment in Provincetown where that wasn't the case. Right. That's the problem with these places that are often, I mean, Dinosaur is the same way. Like, I think it's it's a huge problem in the community, huge problem. Because those places are uplifted in a certain way that other places are not. Yeah, totally. And, you know, there's just so many like resources in Provincetown and there's just so many people who could really, I don't want to say benefit, but like, you know, I like I just want so many people to kind of experience it. And it's just not really available, you know, like. Honestly, frankly, if I was not hired to go there, if no one had found me an apartment to live in and pay for it, there is truly no other way I would have been able to do this, like, and experience this. Like, it was not, I don't know about what you guys feel about you, how much you make off podcasting, but like, it doesn't, you know, <laughs> afford me a summer in Provincetown. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> is that why by July 4th, you were like, get me out of here? <laughs> it just, like kind of what you're saying, it's really homogenous. And for me, especially last summer, I was like, 
woo, I'm ready to party. Like I want to And like everywhere I went, I was like basically one or two women in the room. And like, there's just something about that, that like after a certain point stops to not be fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I make some jokes that I was like low key hate crimed. I was not hate crimed, but I, there were some moments where I had some like relatively unpleasant interactions with like bouncers or just like random patrons at bars, you know, like at a party that I was invited to at a party that I helped decorate for, you know, and I felt really entitled to be there. And then, you know, when after 150 men streamed through the door, it kind of felt like there was really no space for me to be there. And it didn't feel like anybody wanted me there. So. And you're a queer one. kind of old. Yeah. I think there was a lot of kind of like, you know, the uh, like invisibility. I don't know if you, I don't know if either of you have like spent, like gone to a gay club, like a like mostly predominantly male gay club All and just noticed how like, no one can see you. Like you are truly invisible, which is like sometimes like worse than being like accosted by men in some ways. <laughs> like, you know what I you mean? You cannot get the bartender's attention. You cannot. The bartender, you don't exist. <laughs> you truly don't exist to anybody there. And like after a while, it's kind of sad. <laughs> or like, I think there was like an assumed like straightness to me or something. Like, I remember I was like at a friend's birthday party one night and this like random drunk dude was like, I think I was like, he like caught my, I don't know what, I'm not responsible for what my face is doing at like every moment, you know, like, I don't know what the look on my face was, but he was like, wow, you must be like so shook to be like around all these gay men, like in wigs. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Like, I really, I don't know what you're yeah. saying. Like, I have been here all summer. I'm gay and uh, I am not shook by a man in a wig. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, this is truly like the least shook I've ever been in my life. You know, this is, <laughs> this is child's play. This is costume. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing even seedy happening in this moment. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. And then right after that, I was having like a really good night. Okay. Like it was my friend's birthday. I, you know, was like a social butterflying, which I find so satisfying. Like I was like tippy top peak. I was like, yeah, I'm talking to you. And now I'm talking to you. And now I'm talking to you. And then that guy said that thing to me about like being, you know, uh, being shook about the gay people. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so I like go start talking to someone else. And then I was like, so how did you meet like the birthday boy? And he's like, oh, we met at like this like queer fairy place in the woods and I named one of them that I know about and he was like no not that one this other one and then he was like but how do you know about that and I was like how the fuck do you think I know about that because I'm fucking gay <laughs> like you know what I mean it's like I'm so well, I, I was going to be like because I watched looking <laughs> you know like I'm like standing here in like jean shorts a hoodie and I, I like how big does my lanyard have to be or like my Caribbean, like how big does my carabiner have to be for you to register that like you're talking to a dyke like you know what I mean like, yeah <laughs> I know we're gonna take a quick break for ads but then we'll be right back with our guest 
are back. You know what else is interesting about Promise Town and it's about queer culture and the divisions between queer culture is that a lot of queer culture is based around partying. So the, in Provincetown, you, you're walking. So there's bars. You can do drugs. You can, you, you relatively not going to get a DUI, hopefully. Like, you know, there's, there's a nightclub culture and going out late. And so for people who are sober, uh, uh, being in these queer spaces can be hard because most queer spaces, especially in Provincetown or in WeHo, et cetera, are like, um, deeply connected to drinking and drugs. Definitely. And is that the culture that you found as well? For sure. Um, I actually, like, last summer, I, like, kind of been slowly stopping drinking. I was, like, starting to really do that last summer, and now I'm, like, mostly pretty much not drinking. Not for... <laughs> mostly, like, boring reasons because I, like, have headaches and, like, can't process alcohol. It's, like really so sad for me but um as like a like a party girl like former party girl I'm just like but please I just I know I'm sober too and I can't believe it (laughs) yeah I like I remember did you guys read the Argonauts oh my god there's this line it's this book by Maggie Nelson Maggie Nelson's book I hate to bring it up but there's this line in the book where she says something like you know I had my cup of green tea in the morning like where I've like funneled all of my vices into this one cup of green tea and I was like could never be me bitch okay well that's basically me now so it's really (laughs) spoke too soon wow you really the Argonauts (laughs) is a a a controversial take here I don't know I've never read it my partner hates it I'm not advocating one way or the other it's just that one line is like really stuck with me anyways there is a lot a lot of partying and I feel like in New York, for example, there's a lot of like other types of spaces like DIY spaces or like like a rave or something where the people are doing like drinking and doing drugs. But it's not like necessarily like the central focus. You know, when you go to like a dance party, there's like lights and music and sounds. And so like you have other stimulation. And so you can kind of like get down with something else there. But like with a bar, it's like now that I don't drink, it's like really hard for me to get it up to go to a bar. I have like I'm yawning one hour in. I'm just like can't cannot have another seltzer. I <laughs> it's time for me to leave now. <laughs> and it's hard to kind of like connect or socialize otherwise. And especially in P-Town, make like friends. Yeah. And make friends, you know, like find community. But there's a lot of other stuff to do in P-Town. Like the nature there is like really where it's at. Not that that's like how you get like queer community or anything, but like I mean, I went on like a lot of hikes. Unless you're cruising. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're cruising in the woods. I went on a lot of uh, hikes. Hikes. Uh, (laughs) Like the sky there, just like walking by the water, like really amazing swims. Like I really, there's there's a lot to do there besides partying. And it is honestly like the good and the bad. Like it's still a great place. I was just there for a couple of days, like, yesterday uh like over the weekend and so I'm still on a little bit of like a high where I just like had a really nice time there for a few days so (laughs) you're catching me at a very good moment to talk about the fact that I do actually very much love Provincetown even though sometimes it can be (laughs) really really annoying would you like to play a game show I would love to Okay, so this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. 
And then I sort of just um, decide whose answer I like the best. All right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not fair. In a way, it's very homogenous because I'm in charge always. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Allison is definitely what I would call a circuit boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? You find out that your partner of 15 years has been sending a love letter to Heather Locklear every single Locklear? week. Locklear? Okay. <laughs> Heather Locklear. Heather Locklear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Heather Locklear every single week professing their undying love for over 20 years. They have never told you about this obsession until you find a half written note that says that they would gladly leave you for Heather if she was interested at all. Would you stay with this wannabe cheater? Okay, Mal saw her at Little Little Doms and said she looked great. She is super cute. Well, okay. Wow. The thing about this is like, nor I would never, if, you know, my partner's in love with a celebrity, like I'm not threatened by that in any way. But like, if they never yeah. mentioned to me that they were in love with Heather Locklear and we've been together for kind of a long time, I think I would find that strange. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, we were together for 15 years. Here's the second part of that is they've been doing it every week for X amount of years. And 20 she, years. She's never responded. So that's creepy to me. Like, why are you keeping writing these letters when you have not received any indication that she likes them? At a certain point, my man, you got to give up. There are some red flags Like, this here. is the equivalent of, like, the guy on Facebook who just writes, hi, hi, hi. Hi. Like, no, dude. Each letter is over 1,000 words that's, long. Yeah. That's not okay. I, I really, yeah, there's some red flags here. And I think it, it, what it really does is calls into question. This is actually one of my biggest, like, dating fears, especially when I used to date men. It's just, like, when you find out that the man that you've been dating is, like, not who you think he is. Like, he has this unrequited crush on Heather Locklear for 20 years and writes her obsessive letters every week. Uh, I'm going to break up with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, has he ever written me a love letter? Never once. And you've asked. Oh, that's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> no, that's fucked, that's fucked up. up. Absolutely not. Like, does he even love me? And now me? I can never watch Boogie Nights again. Does he love us? Does he yeah, love he loves us? You, but he would leave you... At any moment for Heather Locklear. No, no, no. Okay. So we're all leaving this cheater. Even I would, though they didn't I, even cheat. I would go be with Heather Locklear. I would go seduce Heather Locklear just to screw with them. Yes. <laughs> be petty. Yeah. Then he would start writing both of you letters. <laughs> That's the best way to get back at an ex. Yeah. Sleep with their celebrity crush. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Heather Locklear. I assume I've taken her last name. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your daughter, 16, wants to get her nails done every week. Okay. But you think it costs too much money. As a compromise, you learn how to do nails really well. And now your Sundays are spent giving her an elaborate manicure and pedicure as she looks at TikTok on her phone. Are you a terrible parent? Ugh. Um, no. Uh. <laughs> I think that's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm not like a, but like. It takes three hours every Sunday. Can't, okay, well, I guess we're bonding. We're bonding. They're not speaking to you. They're just on TikTok. Ugh, okay. That makes me feel 
that. Yeah, that, ma- that like, does make me feel bad. Can she just go like once a month? No, that they, they she wants a manicure and pedicure every week. First of all, that's ridiculous. She's a brat. Yeah, can I say like she can do that if she makes her own money and gets a job and pays for it? Gabby, this isn't how the game works. The game is the specific scenario. And if you do that specific scenario, are you a terrible parent? I don't think it, it's terrible parent. I think that's honestly totally reasonable. And also like, you know, no. who's to say that I'm not like the type of person who like gets some joy out of like, you know, fine motor skills. That's a great point. I just painted mouse toes for them. And I thought that was kind of fun. We are watching TV, hanging out. Lovely. It was cute. But then I did yell at them because they moved. And I was like, you're not supposed to move. And then they thought that was very funny that I was taking it so seriously. What color? Black. Nice. They're an emo boy. (laughs) I think you're a bad parent because I think you should tell them to get a job and teach them that their money has value to give them the things they want. See, I think all you have to do is just say, get off TikTok and talk to me. That's if I'm going to do this. Yeah, then we have talk. to have conversations. Yeah, I mean, honestly, denying them Manny Petty, femphobic. I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. The New York City queer obsession with femphobia. Oh, uh, we don't have time. Okay, We don't have That's time. That's the deepest in-joke. The deepest in-joke. Anyway. Okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? One night, you and your best friend in the entire world are driving when a tree starts to fall on your car until it suddenly reverses in midair. You realize that your best friend moved the tree with their mind and have been keeping their telekinetic powers from you because they think you are horrible at keeping secrets. Multiple of your mutual friends already know. (gasps) Would you forgive this liar who pretended to not have telekinetic powers? Now, what would be the problem with me telling people? Like, if I couldn't keep it a secret, what would happen? The government would come for them? Yeah. They'd become like, you know, they would like, who knows if their life would be safe. They'd be like a science experiment. Everything would change. So my love for them wouldn't, wouldn't keep me from telling people because I don't want them to get kidnapped into a lab? Well, maybe you think that, but they were afraid you would tell. They didn't trust you enough to tell you. Okay, the part that's (laughs) fucked up is that some of our friends already know. Like, I hate to be the last to know about something that really, I'm like, what? Like, you could tell them, you can tell me? Yeah, that's what would kill me. Who was driving? Who was, why does that matter? Because it's pretty impressive if they were driving and they could also do with the tree you were driving so it's my fault (laughs) yeah i under i get it but i also i would feel i don't know if we could be friends i would probably forgive them because i i mean i don't want to lose my best friend over uh something like that it's true that i kind of have a big mouth (laughs) but i understand you know what is like if I could at least talk about it amongst our close friends, like I'm not going to rat them out. I have discretion. Mm-hmm. It would be so awkward the next time you see all the other friends because then it would be like, oh, do you like know about it now? And then they know you were the last to know. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I found out. And they'll be like, oh, did she like finally tell you? And it's like, no, I actually found out by accident. Like, that's so awkward. Are you even the best friend? Right. Yeah. Your position on the friendship ladder is now like number five. <laughs> Yeah, I I wouldn't love that, but I would forgive. I would forgive. I can't. I'm not even capable of holding a grudge. It's like impossible. I'm just like, whatever, let's move on. I guess on. she did I'm save so my life. 
Yeah. But her own life as well. I would be really, one, deeply, deeply hurt. Yeah. And two, so pumped that people have those powers. That's true. Correct. So it's a real flood of emotion, of conflicting emotion. You don't want to lose your one friend with telekinesis. You got to use them for stuff. (laughs) Yes, you need that friend around for exact moments where trees fall on your car when you're driving. Exactly. Why hasn't this friend used it for like anything like like really good? Like why haven't they used it to like convince Biden to like reverse the oil lobbies? No, they can only move things with their minds. They can't change people's like opinions. Well, what if they why haven't they used it to do any I don't know, like, like what? <laughs> I feel like you're confusing Jean Grey's powers with Professor Xavier's powers. I see. Okay. That's fair. If you guys listen. A very gay <laughs> metaphor, the X-Men. <laughs> I do know X-Men. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> oh, well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And where can people listen to the show and follow everything that you're doing? Yeah, so Welcome to Provincetown is out now. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. I am on Twitter and Instagram. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell us where. (laughs) No. Okay. But my Instagram handle is iconic. So um, I do feel like maybe it's worth mentioning. Um, You can find me at totally normal butthole 420 on Instagram. And uh, I think my Twitter is like at MIT underscore KAB. Okay. Less exciting than butthole. (laughs) Yeah. It is less exciting. But I'm like, one is professional and one is just for me. But if you want to see pictures of Provincetown and like kind of the summer we had, you can follow Rococo Punch on Instagram. Um, and they're the production company that I worked with to help put the show out. Thank you so much. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about safe injection sites. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X baby, 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 normal. Well, it's a serious topic. That's true. What we're talking about today is something called safe injection sites, which is basically a harm reduction policy where certain cities have set up uh, places where people can go and use illegal controlled substances at supervised facilities. Basically, they're able to do so under the watch of staff members who are trained to intervene in overdoses. Mm -hmm. It also means that they're provided with clean needles. And a lot of times they're also kind of, you know, the option of like treatment services is there for them. Mm -hmm. It's not enforced or anything, but like it's basically a harm reduction approach where because so many people are overdosing, it's a way for people to use in a safer way and with people who are medically trained to Mm -hmm. save their lives if they need to. Yeah. For a lot of reasons that are probably obvious, it is a controversial concept Mm -hmm. um, because many people think that the only way to deal with drug use is abstinence Mm -hmm. and that harm reduction. Worse, abstinence or eradication of those people or jailing of those people. Or criminalization. Yeah. And so 
California actually passed a bill to implement safe injection sites in a couple of cities in the state. And then Gavin Newsom, our governor, who during his run said that he supported these sites, vetoed the bill. Yeah, I'm reading here. He said he's concerned that these sites could result in unintended consequences or worsen the drug crisis. He is up for re-election and he's trying to appeal to the people that are in the middle because he knows Democrats are going to vote for him regardless. And so he's trying to appeal to those people that are on the fence. And I think he wants to run for president. Yep, that too. So it was called Senate Bill 57, and it was going to set up sites in L.A., San Francisco, and Oakland, which, okay, we live in L.A. Um, We don't live in SF. We don't live in Oakland. But those three places are very known for their unhoused populations. Mm -hmm. L.A. is in particular, I mean, SF and Oakland for sure. L.A. in particular, with my own eyes, because I live here, I have seen that the problem is growing, that the problem is not being taken care of that they are not implementing services to help people, that a lot of these people definitely are dependent on drugs or have uh, issues with substance. And like whatever they're doing currently is not helping. And the fact that there could be a way to implement something new and at least try it, and they're like, no, thank you, is uh, horrifying. Concerning. And these sites exist elsewhere. Like there's one in New York. I think Maine has some. And the thing that's different about drug use now is than than historically in a lot of ways is how deadly fentanyl is. So deadly now. And that it is in so many different types of drugs. Yes. So it's like it like there's like traces of it in all these different. So you, you aren't even necessarily a fentanyl user intentionally, mm-hmm. but your drugs are laced with fentanyl. And so. It is such a powerful drug that people accidentally overdose at yes. such a high rate with this drug. And so acting like, oh, that's not a thing. Like it's actually in Vancouver, there's a pilot program I was learning about today where they actually are, are trying to supply the fentanyl directly so that they know that it's like pharmaceutical grade. Oh, but this isn't even that. This isn't even, you know, a safe injection site. It's not even you're not even providing people with the drugs. You're simply there just to make sure that if things go wrong, yeah. this these people will not die. Right. Yeah. Um, and the fact that like people are like, but that I that that seems too controversial. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. or that we're that's promoting drug use. And it's like, no, it's really not. It's preventing deaths. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting for me because I grew up with a father who's a drug addict. And he now he's been sober since I was 17 and he is, I think, a a proponent of the abstinence model because he's so deeply involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. And I'm, I'm actually wondering now, I'm curious what he would have to say about these things. I think he would be of the mindset, and I'm sure some of our listeners are, that complete sobriety is like the only way. But I also think that a lot of that is born out of privilege. And I know that these Alcoholics Anonymous NA, you know, they they purport to be for everyone and they can be because they're free, because they're open. You can find a meeting almost anywhere, but it's still a specific type of person who has the access and the presence of mind and the trauma history to be able to attend one of those meetings or feel safe or comfortable going to one of those meetings. And so there is this like kind of, not naive, but idea that 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 could be for everyone. And why doesn't everyone just do that? And I think 
I think my dad would say probably that I'm right about this, that like there are people for whom it's just not realistic. And it's a nice story and it's a nice bow to wrap up like being completely sober and abstinent. But like it doesn't take into account people's lived experiences, which are traumatic, complicated, compounded. I was just talking about this on Bad With Money, where a lot of times people say, well, why don't you just like X, Y, and Z? And what they don't realize is that for most people, these things are happening, like the bad things that are leading to these problems are happening concurrently. It's not like, oh, one, like you're, you know, you got evicted from your home and that's all you have to deal with. For most people that are like having these problems, it's like, they're a victim of sexual assault. They were evicted from their home. Their parent died. They like all, and all of this stuff is happening concurrently. So like, they're not taking into account the, all of the factors involved in why someone would be a a drug user. And so until we can like address all of those in a preventative way, the, this, the safe injection sites or supervised injection sites are a way to literally save lives. Yeah. And also if someone is coming off a drug, like if they're, you, you can't just stop cold turkey because your body has gotten used to it and so you can also crash really hard from it so if you go to these places and you're just gradually coming off of it in a safe way then that also helps people come off of it and stay off long and do it in a uh, more supervised and safe way i think like there's got to be something to be said about going to a non-judgmental place exactly that's why people get nervous about aa or rehab yeah, like and 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 I would imagine like being provided with treatment options or counseling options or things at a place like a safe injection site feels so different than being told that you need help somewhere else. Yeah, and probably expensive. I mean, going to rehab is expensive. Getting sober in a lot of ways, sober coach, sober companion, all this stuff, expensive. Um, and a lot of these people are already dealing with court costs or lawyer costs or whatever, you know, fines, things like that. So if this is free and available, like, well, you're not getting the drugs there. Like you're still, yeah, Yeah. but it's like, you know, a free way to recover is what I'm saying. I think it's a place to, to, from my understanding, it's a place to safely use under supervision Mm -hmm. and like with, with, um, clean needles. Yeah. You're right. For a lot of people, recovery is not the goal. And also like their, their life circumstances are not such that they want to stop. You know what I mean? Yeah, or that they're in a position to be able to, or right, like exactly. you know, like and and even they don't just deserve to, to die, right? Exactly, right. and they don't deserve to to be criminalized and to be feel like they're not a person and that they're, you know, um, I disposable. Like I was listening to this the woman who's doing the pilot program in Vancouver, which involves you know safe supply, where she's actually providing with the fentanyl, and she was like, drug use is has been part of like human history forever mm-hmm. <laughs> we've always. always used versions of drugs what's problem what's really really problematic now is that how deadly this drug is yeah. that is so like omnipresent that is like all throughout drugs and so it's super deadly and also we are like gabby was touching on we're not providing people with their having their basic needs met which often then leads them to use drugs because their conditions are <sighs> We created this crisis. We created the fentanyl crisis to begin with, right. which um, 
you know, it's now completely proven and not a conspiracy theory that the CIA created the crack ep- epidemic. I mean, all of this is really just to use drugs as a way to jail or punish or kill black and brown people, 100%. I mean, think about how, you know, drug use is seen as cool in white circles, right? Moms making marijuana cookies, white people fucking going down to the Amazon so that they can do ayahuasca. Like, all these things that are like, oh, this is cool, um, you know, for for a certain subset of person are criminalized or used in a way to, like, say that this person isn't a person worth living or what like what it like fundamentally if you are having mental health problems and you go do ayahuasca fundamentally how is that different than someone who has dealt been dealing with a family trauma doing a little bit of heroin and it's done usually with someone there to help guide you through it's the same as like it's what the is- same as an ayahuasca mm-hmm. person but yeah. god forbid because because why? Be- you know why. It's racism. So if this has changed your mind about this or you're interested in, in this idea, like I think it'd be really cool to, to try to get the places where we live to actually enact this kind of policy and to hopefully see like more harm reduction treatments and opportunities like federally, locally, all that stuff. I think Biden said that he's interested in harm reduction, but hasn't actually like done anything towards that just even like letting people know about harm reduction mm-hmm. as like a basic because all three of us didn't really know about it know until about it. a few weeks ago yeah all right what do we what do we rate this one i'm gonna rate it nine out of eight you you're gonna figure it out bud okay that's to the iq yeah to the international okay. question <laughs> melissa's thinking hard <laughs> You have a, a silly one or you have nothing? I have nothing. <laughs> okay, I'll go. I will rate it 107 out of four. Uh, bear weeks. Uh, bear weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't help me out? I'll rate <laughs> okay, it. Okay, <laughs> you do one. Give a number. I'll rate it 80 out of 30. Not Gavin Newsom for president. There we go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Demetra Caboli, for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Jog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash Team or on our channel, youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye. Forever.